I went to this retreat one time and everybody that was there had a job that was a result of their faith. And the speaker at one of the conferences on the retreat at the beginning of the conference said that for the sake of this morning's talk, I am going to be the devil's advocate. And so he rolled up his sleeves, undid a button on his shirt, and picked on his first victim. And he said, you, give me one experience from your life that would give undeniable proof that God exists. So the guy thought for a little while, and he said, well, when I look at all of creation and all of the created things, and the beauty of it, and the way that it's working together, that speaks to me of the existence of a creator, the existence of God. And the speaker said, well, I'm an atheist, and I look at those things too, and I see none of that. So he moved on to his next victim. So he said, give me one experience from your life that would give me undeniable proof for me as an atheist that God exists. So the second person gave a story of their life, of a time that was difficult for them, a lot of suffering in their life, and how God walked them through it and brought them to a deeper understanding of that suffering and of hope. The speaker turned to him and said, well, that's a nice feeling, but I'm pretty sure God's not a feeling, so not good enough. Picked on the next victim. Said, you, give me an experience. And by this time, everybody's laughing at their colleagues because they can't come up with a good answer. What's an experience? Why don't you just tell me why you don't, why you don't believe God exists? Why is the burden of proof on me to prove that God exists? Why don't you prove to me that he doesn't? I'm asking the questions here. Answer my question. No, I won't answer until you answer mine. So we moved on to the next victim. Give me an experience. Well, come and live with me for a week, and I'll show you by the experiences of my life where God exists. No, I want you to tell me right now of an experience. Couldn't do it. And everybody was laughing and chuckling at their inability to answer. And I was sad. I was sad because none of them could articulate any experience of faith in their life to another. Everyone in that room has had an experience of faith. They wouldn't have been there if that wasn't the case. But they hadn't integrated it, incarnated it enough in their life to be able to express it in a concrete way. That one just went from a purely philosophical and rational argument of creation. Another one went from a purely sentimental argument from emotion. Another one just avoided the question by being confrontational. The last one came closest by trying to invite them into an experience, but couldn't articulate the experience back. See, when it comes to our faith as Christians, and particularly our understanding of faith as Catholics, faith isn't just an idea. It's not just a feeling. It's something that incarnates itself. It, it, we embody faith within us, which was the reason for the question that was on the screens before Mass. How does having faith make your life 
different. How do you incarnate that faith, embody that faith in the way that you think and you speak and you act? Because that's what God is offering us. That's the invitation of the Christian life. Because we can't fall into the trap of making God and making faith what is sometimes called the God of the gaps. What does that mean? The God of the gaps is that when I face something in life, that I don't understand, that I don't have an answer for, I put faith on top. I don't have a way of explaining this, so I need faith. And then I go about the other parts of my life, and every time I meet those places where I can't understand, I can't explain, well, you have to have faith. Yes, faith helps, but faith isn't just for the gaps in our life. Faith is our life. The other trap that we fall into when it comes to faith is that we kind of flip-flop on extremes. That, well, at this point in my life, I don't have any faith. Or at this point in my life, my faith is good enough. I have enough faith. Well, on the side of I don't have faith, here's the thing. There is never a point in your life where you have no faith. You might not rationally think that you believe in God in that moment, You might not feel like you believe in God in that moment, but if you are a baptized Christian, you have received the grace of faith that is with you always and everywhere, no matter the circumstances of your life. Then on the flip side, my faith is good enough. Good enough for what? Do you have a faith that can endure all things and hope all things and believe all things? How can we know? The moment that I say that I have enough faith, I have defined what enough faith is. Faith isn't mine to possess. Faith is what God gives me. Because for a Christian, faith is embodied. And it's embodied because it is given by God first, and then it is lived out by us. And that plays itself out in the prayers that we hear at every baptism, so the and in the scriptures that we hear today. So there's two great verses that we hear from Paul and in the gospel today that are important. The first is, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. If we're going to rekindle the gift of God, that means that it's already there. He didn't say, receive the gift of God. He said, rekindle it. This is the experience of God who is eternity. This is the experience of the soul. And this is played out ritually in the baptism, particularly in the lighting of the baptism candle. The priest or the deacon takes the child's baptism candle, lights it from the paschal candle, the light of Christ, takes from the light of faith and hands it to the parents and godparents and says, Parents and godparents, this light is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly. That what we say is that on the day of baptism, a child receives something not from their parents. That it's not the parents who do this for or in the child. This gift of faith is done in them by God. Then the second part is... The apostles today crying out, increase our faith. 
They follow Jesus, so there is something of the gift of faith already in them, but they need an increase of faith. This is the God of the incarnation. This is God who is eternal becoming flesh. This is the embodiment that we make by our thoughts, words, and actions of this gift from God. And that is heard most specifically at baptism when just before the parents and godparents renew their baptism promises, the priest or deacon says to them that for your part, you must ensure to strive to bring your children up in the faith. The responsibility on the part of the parents is to nurture this gift of faith that God gives to the child. This is why the life of faith around the child is so important. Because just like any other gift in our life, if you get the gift from somebody else and then you put it on a shelf and never unwrap it, what good is that gift? It'll just collect dust in the corner. The gift is still valid, it's just never been used. You need to unpack the gift and understand the gift and use the gift for it to have its real value. Which is why there is always a gift in the sacrament because God is at work. But the living out, the embodiment of that sacrament requires our cooperation and our participation. Another way to think about it is God primes the pump. We have to start the engine. The fuel is there to do the work, but the machine actually has to be started to do that work. The gift of faith is the priming. Our cooperation, our life of faith is the action. These two have to go together. So if that's true, very practically speaking, what does doing chores at home look like for a person of faith? Why do you do chores? Well, because having a disastrous house would be impossible to live in. So there's an obligation to do chores. Otherwise, you just end up growing, living in a growing dumpster. Nobody wants to live that way. But why does a person of faith do chores at home? Well, because for a Christian, the home is the first place of encounter with God. And the way that I build up my home and I structure my home permits that encounter with God to a greater or lesser degree. And I don't just do it for myself, but I do it for the others that live with me so that together we can be knit together in companionship and together be open to those things. And so when I do my chores, can I, in the back of my mind, have that in mind that as I'm washing the dishes, I'm not just doing it because to eat the next meal on a dirty plate would be disgusting, but that I wash that dish because it's a gift of love that I make to the rest of my family. Or, how does a person of faith approach anxiety? Everybody has to face anxiety, but generally the way that I hear anxiety being dealt with elsewhere is, well, you just have to face it and think differently. So whatever your mind is telling you that's making you anxious, you have to come up with a new narrative, a new way of seeing and perceiving this thing. Well, kind of. But sometimes that's really hard because 
whatever narrative you had that's making you anxious can be much stronger than the new narrative you're trying to create. And so they're just fighting each other within your head. And that makes you more anxious. How does a person of faith approach anxiety or really any emotion? I'm not alone in this. God is with me. And because God is with me, I know that this experience of anxiety will not be the end because I can hope for all things, that I believe in a God who makes all things work for the good for those who believe in him. It changes your whole way of being and of existing. So going back to the question on the retreat, Give me one experience from your life that speaks the truth of God's existence. Can you do it? Because if you can't articulate that, if you haven't integrated it and embodied it enough in your own life, how can we share the faith? How can we share the faith? See, faith has to answer the deepest human questions. If our faith doesn't have an answer to the deepest human questions, then take it or leave it. Right? There's other places that will offer different answers. But if our faith can speak to the deepest human longings and questions, well, now that's something different. Because most people don't have an answer to that. They just kind of deal with it. Have you integrated it enough? Here's one from my life, a very concrete moment for me. It was when I was at the Basilica, and it was on a day that I was painfully aware of how sinful I was. And my usual reaction to that is feeling sorry for myself. But for whatever reason, on that night, instead of feeling sorry for myself, God gave me enough courage to walk from the rectory down the hall to the basilica when it was closed. So it was by myself in the basilica and walked over to the Blessed Sacrament, not knowing what I was doing. And I just knelt in front of the Blessed Sacrament, didn't even have any words to pray, just knelt there and then became overwhelmed, first with tears. And then this sense of peace and I was angry at this sense of peace because I am a terrible sinner. I don't deserve anything good right now. I deserve consequences for my actions. And then the peace just became stronger, which made me completely aware that this had nothing to do with me trying to console myself, like, oh, poor me. This was something that I didn't deserve. It's something that I didn't want. It was an experience of the other. It was an experience of God that came from outside of me because it drew me closer to him. Instead of being trapped in the prison of my own sin, he gave me an experience of his mercy and of the purpose of his mercy. That I still didn't feel excused for what I had done, but I knew that there was hope despite what I had done. Can you articulate a moment and an experience of faith in your life? Because that question from the beginning of Mass, 
what difference does faith make in your life? To be able to answer that question is to be able to have an answer of how do I embody my faith? How do my thoughts, words, and actions in every moment of my day look and feel different for myself and for the people around me because of the gift that I've received? If we cannot do that, we will not be able to share the faith with anybody else. We might still have it for ourselves, but we will not be able to express it in a way that is meaningful to another human soul. And we all know ultimately we're called to hand down the faith first to our children and then those around us. So as our starting point in this month of reflection on faith, take some time now during this week to reflect on how does my faith make my life different?